All right, hey guys, welcome back. I'm with a dear, dear friend of mine who I'm going to introduce to you in a second. But welcome back to the Story Podcast, a place where we can help connect whoever I'm hanging out with and their story to the gospel, to Jesus Christ and his story, but ultimately to your story. Because every single person on the planet has a phenomenal story when you know Jesus Christ. And I'm sitting with a lady. We're going to dive into her story. And you're going to get to hear some amazing things that God's done in her life and through her life. But before we start, let's thank our sponsors, Christian Healthcare Ministries. Uh, if I have that. Do you have Christian Healthcare Ministries? I do not. You should look into it. I will. Biblical, community shared, uh, cost sharing organization. My wife and I have been with them for 10 years. And then Natural All Living. Do you, have, you need supplements, don't you? I guess I do need some. You do need some. Okay. All natural product from friends of ours. So use the, the code uh, My Story Matters and get 50% off there and uh, get yourself some protein or vitamin C. Sounds good. Make me a shake tomorrow. All right. So uh, with me today, it's hard to be able to put into words uh, how special this conversation is. Um, I hope I don't get teary-eyed. Should I brought my tissues? Yes, maybe you should have. <laughs> I should probably let you know we're filming this at a booth in uh, Columbus, Georgia, Pine Mountain, Georgia, at a lake called Robin Lake, where this lady right here won. Um, how many times have you won in water skiing here at this venue? Uh, so we're at the U.S. Masters Water Ski and Wakeboard Tournament. This is the 61st event, and I had the privilege of skiing in 25 and wow. uh, won eight, so six slaloms and two trick events. Yeah, and so this is a worldwide event. We have skiers coming yes. from all over the world that have to pre-qualify to get invited in. Right. So you won. Well, it's very similar like golf. You know, the U.S. Masters Water Ski Tournament, the U.S. Open, those are the, the highlight events and the most prestigious water ski wakeboard events that you can come to. So we've jumped the gun a little bit. Christy is a, is a world-renowned water skier, and uh, she's also involved in prison ministry where God has called her to for how many years now have you been working in prison ministry? Since 2013. Wow. So I've, I would say you're like a bigger sister to me and to my wife, Emily. Um, we now partner together in ministry, which we'll get into a lot, but I have just loved watching your, your life from the sidelines Thank you. and uh, being a part and being close to your family, your children. And it's an honor to have you on to be able to talk about your story. So walk me through this then, your early days of mm -hmm. water skiing. Um, I know that your dad um, got a bulldozer yeah. and, a, and a friend of his up in North Carolina and said, let's dig ourselves a lake for yes. him to have his, a lake for you to ski on, right? right? So about how old was that? And then take us through the early days of okay. skiing. Yeah, so I was 12 years old when my dad built Lake Christie. And I thought at the time that that was really normal and that all kids had a lake in their backyard. Uh, at that point, my dad built the lake with my mom's help, of course, and, and she was my coach because they knew that I was already at 12 years old at a professional level. I turned pro at, a, at So you were, are you making money at 12 years old? Yes. I had boat companies, ski companies, um, got invited to my first um, elite masters for the adults at age 13. And so I had started water skiing at age four. And it was something that my father absolutely loved to do. And he and his friend, uh, Dean Collins, introduced me to the sport. My dad actually had been in a boat racing accident on July 4th. And so he was laid up on crutches, had busted up ribs and all of that. So he didn't actually get to get in the water and teach me. 
but his buddy Dean Collins ran up and down the shoreline pulling me first, like we parents do. Uh, no, we were the boat. They were the boat. Yeah. And I loved it. And so I can still remember, you know, as much as a four-year-old can, parts of that moment where you are giving the opportunity to say, hit it to that ski boat, which are the words that you say to the boat driver when you're ready to go. And the feeling of skimming across the water and at that point, just being a young child, I really wasn't afraid because I trusted my father. I trusted my mother and those around me. And I had confidence in, in what they said that I was going to be okay. And so I was able to move out into this rough water. What I didn't know is there was jellyfish out there. There was, you know, crabs that eventually I would discover, moccasins, all of that. I always say that's why I became a really good skier because of all the moccasins that were in the lake. Yeah, you don't want to fall. Yeah, so for all those years from, I'm, I'm 51 now, so from 1974 until the early 1980s, 81, that we skied in the Pamlico River in North Carolina, if you can hear my accent. I do detect it. I like it. Yeah, thank you. Um, and then my dad and mom built Lake Christie. And ever since then, it's, it's a private facility. It's made predominantly for water skiing. We, you and I have been out there. You guys have wakeboarded out there. Emily's been out there. But it's a really small lake, and it's, it's really designed for slalom skiing, trick skiing, and jump. Yeah, I have been out there. There's a golf course on there, too. Yes, I've, I've yet to horses, hit horses, all sorts of all things. All sorts of things. It's beautiful. So let's come back. You're skiing. You have this this beautiful lake. You know, I'm thinking if I'm on the outside looking in, you know, this, this little girl's got it made. You yeah. know, like, gosh, so lucky. And, and you were so blessed. I was. Um, and I like to say that you can't judge a book by its cover, but you also don't know what someone's story looks like from the outside looking in. And uh, so let's get into... You know, life is great in some ways, but also as you start to explore your faith, um, walk us through kind of the introduction of your right. faith, but also uh, lead us into that those challenging moments of your career. Yeah, so I was really blessed to be raised in a Christian home. I had parents that took me to church every single weekend, uh, Wednesday night, sometimes Sunday nights, Sunday school. And that's just all I ever knew. I went to a Christian school, so I was very blessed. It, it, again, you didn't realize when you're being raised up in it what a blessing that was at the time. It was kind of like, oh, i got to go to church. I, you know, uh, I don't know if you're experienced that, but you went to church because it was something you were told you were going to do. But I did have a, a very um, healthy respect for the Lord, and I was taught that you respect God. And, um, but there was on the verge of being afraid of God, if I'm going to be truly honest, yeah. because it was kind of taught to me that God's always watching you, which he is, but I'm so thankful he's always watching. But back yeah. then, I was scared to death. God, right. God's going to get me. It's a different kind of watching. <laughs> it's not like, oh, you're watching and you enjoy me. You're yeah. watching like, to and kill I'm me. afraid. Yeah, to kill me. <laughs> and so I don't think anybody intended that, but I was raised in a denomination, which I'm so thankful for that I was taught salvation, but I was also taught about the fire of hell every single weekend and didn't hear a lot about the grace of God. So I was raised in, in an environment that, that loved the Lord. We went to church and we respected him, but I didn't understand what it was to actually have a relationship with him. And everything started to change for me when I was... Um, 
early 20s, I'd say. By then, I'm off to college. I'm on a water ski scholarship down at University of Central Florida. Yes, they do. Ha they had those back then. And all of a sudden, I don't have to go to church. because. But I went to church for a while because my parents were going to call on Sunday and yeah. said, hey, where did you, you go to your church? What? Where did you go? And I didn't want to disappoint them. But over time, I would go, and then I ended up learning that I wanted to go. And I started getting... Um, hearing some new things and about the grace of God. And I started to learn about how to study the Bible. All those years, I just flipped. I knew I should read it, but I would flip it open and point to a verse just to have a checklist done. But I honestly, no one had ever taken me through and shown me how the stories, they just seem like faraway stories. Let's, let's learn about David and Goliath, but how does that apply to me oh, today? Yeah. How many people can relate to that? Yeah. Where, where it's like you go to church, you hear about it, and you're like, I'm not connecting. Yeah. It's not resonating with me. You know, if you really knew me or, you know, if you knew my situation, this would mean nothing to me. Right. You know, but what you're saying is that you gave it your heart, your attention, and it started to connect. Yeah, you know, it started, started to, to connect. But for me, you're, you were talking about a few minutes ago, and I, it made me think of something you said from the outside looking in. You know, like this perfect life. And it, really, my family life was as perfect storybook as you could ever, ever have. And I'm so grateful for that, especially now as a parent, to see the sacrifices my mother and father made for me. But the pressure that I experienced, it wasn't really for them. You know, I was a believer, but my faith was way over there. It was on Sunday morning. And it was my, let me pray before I go to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. Let me say, uh, you know, thank you, Lord, for this food. And that was it. Yeah. And so I would have my prayer, nighttime prayers, but then I'd go to the lake the next day and I'm skiing. But I'm not skiing with God. And I'm not even thinking about God out on the lake because it was me in the boat and me and my coach, this was internal dialogue. You're not good enough. You haven't skied enough. You haven't performed well enough for your parents. That was so not true. You, you, you know, you, you're nothing without water skiing. It's just this constant pressure boiling inside of me. I had no idea that God's love transcended church it transcended out onto the water and that he loved me and he'd given me this talent to ski and he wanted to help me. And I could talk to him about these frustrations. I could be a master's champion and leave and feel like a failure, even though I'm holding the gold, even though I'm walking away with a paycheck because maybe I didn't ski as good as I knew I could have. I had so much pressure on myself to perform and to perform to a level of perfection and excellence. It wasn't really excellence, it was perfection. And then this pressure I would put on myself to please people. I always say they were my addictions, the three Ps, people-pleasing, performing, and perfectionism. And it almost killed me. That's good. Almost killed me. And so then I get invited to go to, is it Schroon or Schroon? Schroon. Schroon, Schroon Lake, New York, at Word of Life Camp. And I'm invited to go speak, and I'm in my early 20s. They knew I was a Christian skier because I had my fish on my ski, yeah. and I skied for, you know, Nautique and, and uh, often spoke on stages. And here I am at Scroon Lake in front of 500-plus teenagers, and I see that they have something I don't have. I had a religion. I had a belief in God, but I didn't know him 
at all other than he was my savior, which praise God. Yeah. And I believe with all my heart I was saved because the Bible says you have faith to believe. But he really wasn't Lord of my life. Not because, I don't think, not because I didn't want him to be Lord. I didn't know how to make him Lord. The Lord showed me probably about three or four years ago one of my main issues is that being a performer, people pleaser, a perfectionist. I took what really made me an incredible skier, a world record holder, world champion, but I took that into my faith. And I looked at God as someone who only rewards people who perform perfect, perfectly that I would envision my father running down the banks, hugging me when I'd set a new record. I envision winning the masters and getting a big old check or big for water skiing and wakeboarding, but not big for golf. But you know, you're going home with the trophy and you, people are smiling, they're congratulating you. And the Lord's like, you took that mentality into your relationship with me and you're constantly performing for me and you don't have to. I love you, Christy, for you. You don't have to put a smile on my face. Having faith pleases me, not performing perfectly. And so that just took a, that was like two or three years ago. I am 51. I have been in this faith journey my whole life, but totally surrendered since my early 20s when I walked away from Word of Life camp and I got on my knees in that little cabin with some roaches on the floor and I said and there's probably no roaches there now but there were when I stayed there I, I can attest there's there's, <laughs> there's a few types bugs. of things there yes. yeah but it's so worth it it's so worth it and I was like god I mean you don't you don't care when you're a teenager that there's some bugs but when you're in you're, you're spoiled rotten in your 20s you're like I need a bed but I was there on my knees and I said god I want to know you like these kids know you that's powerful. I think it's so true. I, can I confess too? Like this podcast is a perfect example of that. I've waited for a year, talked yeah. to so many people about this, and yet I, I don't want. I never wanted the launch to do it because I was so afraid that it wouldn't be perfect. It's not, Kevin. I know. Thank God it's not. It's, <laughs> there's wind blowing right now. Yeah. But it crippled me. Yeah. And it robbed me. The most important thing is what I think you're saying, too, is it robbed me when I put a performance as my relationship with God that it has to be this, it has to be that. Then I just missed the fact that it was about what God wants to do in the simplicity or the humility or the not being perfect. Yeah, authenticity, just being real, being honest. And, and I kept saying to myself, yeah, once I get this production stuff right or the lighting right or the video right, then it'll then I'll, I'll, I'll be humble, I'll be transparent. Um, but it, it took my friend Nick, who lives above our garage, who was helping me with the podcast, and he said, yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect. You just need to start. You know, and you so said it. Perfectionism cripples you. Yeah. It, it, fear cripples you too, but you know, it wasn't. I mean, basically, that's fear-based because you're afraid it's not going to be good enough. And God does not give you a spirit of fear. And I've just learned that God, whether we're as our Christian, you know, in our Christian walk, or whether in our various ministries, God is not about perfection. He's about hearts that are per perfect toward Him. But I do believe, with that said, that God desires a spirit of excellence because he gave his best for us. And so there is that balance. 
and you are, our standard of excellence is pretty darn high, whether it's the magazines that we publish or the movies that you're producing or the stories that we tell. We get to tell people stories. We want it to be awesome. Yes. And so, and we always can look and see, oh, it could have been better. I mean, yes. I'm an editor and I'll look and I'll find, oh, there's a period that shouldn't be Where's there. Where's that comma? Where's that comma? And it's, but it's okay. You can't let the period or the comma stop you. Yeah. Man, that'll translate. Yeah. That'll translate. So I'm, I'm, uh, I know that people are listening and kind of wondering, do they deal with perfectionism? Mm-hmm. What are some other areas that you could see perfectionism creeping in you know competing and winning the world championship it's easy hey if you don't give it your very best and have a perfect run you won't win but in life like how do we see that creeping in maybe in less more subtle ways Um, i'm a parent of three children and oh boy every single day and a wife i'm a wife of one husband good on you and we've been together over 30 years and i'm a daughter i'm a friend I'm a sister, I'm a ministry leader, and there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't feel like I failed somebody, that I wasn't good enough or perfect enough. What do you actually start to do to go from being that person to Mm -hmm. moving forward? As I'm getting older, the beauty in that is I'm realizing, one, I think I've crossed that threshold of not caring as much what people think. I always wondered when it happened. I think it happened at 50. But starting to realize, okay, I'm feeling anxious here. Why? Okay, I just responded and I felt offended. Why? And I'm noticing when I'm feeling this way. I'm noticing when things are happening around me and I'm having just these responses. And so I then stop and I say, okay, God, Holy Spirit, why? Why am I angry at this? Or why, you know... Why do I feel jealous here? What What is this mm. that I'm feeling? And identifying, stopping enough and not reacting to it, not saying whatever I want to say as a mama or whatever, and then just asking God to reveal the why behind my what. In a sense, then you're having what's, what's like a word of life event, but the Lord's shown you that you can do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like you can... You know, his desire is to know you and for you to be known by him. And instead of him to have to take you all the way to New York, mm-hmm. sleep with some cockroaches, mm-hmm. you know, with some little kids, he grew you in your faith so much so that your dependency is upon him so that when you do get caught in your lies, mm-hmm. upset with someone else, the moment that happened in New York with the Holy Spirit happens again and mm-hmm. his spirit speaks to you. And mm-hmm. then there's a moment there. Mm-hmm. I think. That's what I notice a lot in, in everyone's stories is there's moments. There's mm-hmm. these, these defining times, not necessarily on salvation, but right. just moments where, like, I can say this person did this or this place, mm-hmm. this thing happened. But I think what we're, I'm really learning, too, is that those are the moments that we can reenact all the time in new and fresh ways every yeah, day every with the day, Lord. Every day. And so. And it's just being aware. So when, like, right now we're on this site, being aware that God's working around us. God is speaking through us, but God's always speaking to us. So when I go through life, like you're talking about these everyday moments, um, it's noticing how I feel, but it's also noticing what's going on around me. And I, you will, if you just come outside of yourself a little bit and look around, this is what I'm having to do. I will say, oh, there's a so-and-so. And then the Lord will give me like a whole, bring a Bible verse to mind and teach me a whole lesson through a tree 
or then he'll show me someone and impress on my heart, go buy that person's lunch or go speak to somebody. And then you get to do life with God instead of, like I was saying earlier, you go do your thing, you leave God on the pew. We don't even have pews now, these comfortable chairs. Or like couches we, because couches, of COVID. Yeah, because of COVID. And we leave God there, and then we go do our thing. No, you you go do your thing, which is hopefully what God's thing. You're not going and doing your thing and saying, God, come bless it. You're finding out where that's important. You find out where God wants you to go, and that's probably a whole other discussion. But that just... The more you get in the Word, the more you desire to know God. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you ask of me, I'll speak to you. He will not leave you guessing. And if you haven't heard, you go back to the last thing that you did hear, mm-hmm. and you make sure you were obedient. And then you just keep going back. For me, if you're not hearing like COVID, a lot of people didn't hear. Like They weren't hearing. I fortunately and thankfully, I, I, it was a very growing time for me. But when you're not hearing or you're confused, you just keep going back to the to the basics. For God so loves me. Yeah. God is good. God is for me. And if that's all, like I had surgery if, two or three weeks ago, and I was just out of it for two weeks. I couldn't read my Bible if I wanted to because I was just drifting off mentally. So I just like pick one thing. God is good. He loves me. He has a plan. Being out of your weakness, you know, his strength is made known in our weaknesses. Yeah, it's, it's well, made perfect. It's in made our perfect weakness. in our Ooh, weakness. We like the word. <laughs> Ooh, hey, let's let's trust in the perfection of God. That's a and it's an ongoing perfection. Yeah, the way it's written is it's just yeah. every, we're being it's for every present moment. There's yeah. the perfection of the Holy Spirit's work. So I want to transition because uh, your ski life, your ski career. One of the coolest things I love about your career, by the way, is that you held the world record for 14 years in. 18. I always say 14. <laughs> 18 years. 18 years. Um, how yeah, old were you? I broke the first record in 1992. I was 22 years old. And I had held trick records, but that was the first slalom record. And um, and then I would continue, me and, and several other ladies would break it, break it, break it, break it, break it. And then um, in 1996, I said it. And that one held for 14 years. How many was that? That was at 41 off, one buoy at 41 off. And that's the one that held for 14. And then I had also held it for four years before then. So, So which is, I think that's fascinating because in the world record of sports, you know, individually every year, all the best in the world are gunning for that record. That's the main goal is to have the world be the world's best skier. Well, it was really neat. And it was honestly... It was such a God thing, too. And there were, there was a lady, I think, in 2010 or not, I can't remember, that, that tied it. But what it did is it allowed me to um, continue to have this platform as a yeah. world champion athlete, even though I had been retired for seven years at that point. I retired in, like, wow. 03. So seven years after that, you're still a world record holder, which opened up some interesting doors and then I did come out and ski for two years after some I remember surgeries that. but it was for a different reason and um, it wasn't to go win and I didn't win I ski terrible but it, the Lord was doing a work in me there were moments where I would get so frustrated as a teenager skiing I would actually think about if I ski in front of the boat here at the end when they're getting ready to stop the boat you know for us to rest for a second 
if I ski in front of that boat, I won't have to ski anymore. Mm. And I mean, these weren't things, they would be fleeting thoughts that perhaps the enemy was trying to take me out. Oh, I'm sure that would have been good. Yeah. Um, but those were those type thoughts that I had to, to battle constantly of not feeling like I was worth anything unless I skied around those balls perfectly. And that was a lie from the pit of hell. What was the hardest part about those memories? Like I'm, I'm wondering if it's the actual lies or if it's the isolation of no one else knowing. Hmm, that's a big question there, Kevin. Um, there was a lot of loneliness, I think. Um, I think anytime you get to the top of something, it's lonely. Yeah, no and one else there. No one, there's not many people there, not many people. Like, you, like for me as a child, I had this whole ski world. I never really told anybody this or thought about it, but I had this whole ski world life. With but friends. You, with friends. This whole, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Your daughter even right now, she doesn't compete, but she's got these, all these ski friends, and then you get home, and then you're going to school, and no one even understands what that it means world. to, what the word hit it even means, that you're getting up and you're training and you're missing, you know, proms and all these type things, and but no one understands. And then there were moments where you go off and you come back and realize everybody's been talking about you or whatever, you know, it's just... It was lonely, and yeah. that's why it's so important to have a group of people that can identify with you, where you are, oh, what you're huge. going through, because isolation is the enemy's playground, and he wants to take you to school. Take you to school. Yeah. Well, I, I know this resonates with people because you don't have to be a pro athlete and, and you know, kids at school not identify with you and your career to talk about you behind your back like all you have to do is look a little different yeah. you have to maybe not have as much money you know maybe not have the right color hair the right color skin like that this is you know people think that all of the problems in the world are they stem from money race or you know social and economical class but it stems from the lies from the pit of hell that we all are can fall victim of and um, I see it happening in our kids' school. I mean, I know it happens everywhere. So, uh, so as, as you think about performing, you go out on the water, you train before you compete, and then you give it everything you had, and then it was never good enough. You know, kids, as they go to school, when they put on their best clothes, that's them training for the world championship because it's the success of being loved or not, yeah. the success of belonging at school or not. And when you talk about belonging and you... You, you know, they're not at the top of some championship. They're trying to get the top of being loved. Mm -hmm. And so they Accepted. sacrifice everything and then they, they end up. That's why I asked you the question of, is it that you felt that you weren't good enough or is that you felt like you were isolated? Because I often feel like even in the kids in school or as we at any age, as we perform or as we try to be better than what we really are, we try to put on our best foot forward. The truth is. It's probably loneliness that hurts even worse is because they don't even know that we're struggling with it. So I want to transition into uh, you retire. We are just touch on Ennis Wakes. 2003 was the official incorporation of Ennis Wakes, but it had started a couple of years before that with we used to do church services together yeah. at the events and things like that. But for me, I realized water skiing taught me so much. And 
my relationship with Jesus has been so huge in my life. As it's been everything, and so being able to marry those things together, and bring children out to the lake and teach them about Jesus, being the power source of their life, teaching them how you might have fears, but when you get off the dock and you move past those fears, how you can have victory. Talking about how when you fall, that. Jesus and God, like that boat, come back around to pick you up. And it's like God just flooded me with all these incredible analogies and built messages out of water skiing, that, like parables. Like Jesus used to tell these stories. We have all these analogies based on the sport we love and the God that we love and the God that we serve. And since 2003, um, God has just brought so many amazing youth through our program, tens of thousands of youth. Yeah. He brought the Miller family in 2007 to our organization. And in 2013, I completely handed the direction and the, the uh, Nate Miller over to him and his wife, uh, Ivy, and they have just taken it. And, you know, God calls you sometimes to birth things and to let them go because he has something else for you. And so he had raised up the Millers, was able to turn that over to them. And it's been so exciting to watch their passion, how God had prepared them. And it's a multiplication effect because now they're able to do things. And then they turn part of that over to you and Emily. And y'all are able to multiply what could be done because you entrust what God had given to you with other um, people who are called to serve the Lord. So in 2013, about that time, the Lord had taken me to prison. Um, what did you do to I go to prison? I <laughs> went to visit a friend, a, both, a, okay, a okay, mutual okay. acquaintance of ours. And, you know, the funny thing is, is up till then, see, prison had never touched our family. And I'd had a couple speeding tickets, I'm a little heavy-footed, but... Um, <laughs> It's like the only thing I thought about prison was people committed crimes, and then they went to prison, they paid their debt to society, and then they should get out and make better choices. And that's just what I thought. And I didn't think bad about people. I thought, you know, hey, you messed up, get it right, and let's go. So in 2013, I get this um, letter from a mutual friend of ours named Bill, who was a professional boat driver, and Bill had been incarcerated. And Bill had been um, sentenced to 15 years in a federal prison in Miami. And he reached out to me halfway through. And we, he corresponded with me. And I just felt in my heart the Lord urging me to go, prompting me to go visit him next time I was in that area. And I didn't know at the time that that visit would radically change the entire trajectory of my life. I just went to say hello. Wow. And before I walked in those gates, I'm telling you, I was a little bit nervous, but I was like, as I walked through those gates, I was like, Lord, I know that I'm here. I don't know why, but I'm asking for you to give me your heart, to give me your eyes, to give me your ears, and to let me know what it is you want me to see, feel, or hear. And when I was there, it was like he opened up a curtain. I'm in this this reception room with Bill, and Bill's talking a mile a minute like I am right now. And he hadn't had a visitor in so long. Wow. And I'm, I'm just taking it all in, but I'm looking around this room that looks like an airport room. There's vending machines. We're sitting in these chairs just like we're getting ready to take off on a flight. And except for all the guys have tan jumpsuits on and 
and they're sitting there, and the Lord just prompted my heart, look around you, what do you see? I see people. I see husbands. I see fathers. And I just went on and on. I, I, I see, you know, daddies holding their babies. I see angry teenagers who are ticked off that they are here yet again on a weekend. And I see mothers who I just talked with one lady who was so excited because her son was getting out soon. And it was like three or four years later. But she was wow. excited. Wow. And I'm like, as a mother, my heart just was like, oh, my gosh. She drives five hours yeah. every weekend. Wow. It has to do is three, four more yeah. years, and she's yeah, celebrating. This isn't the picture of, oh, they go to prison, they stay there for a while, they go out. It's, it impacts it affects lots everybody. of people. Yeah. If they have a family, it impacts a lot of people. And so I go off, and um, I'm driving back home. I am completely wrecked because while I was in there, I was, like, telling the Lord what I saw, and he's like, I want you to go. I just knew it, and I want you to tell them the message of hit it. Because of all the years I water skied, I skied 35 years, I fell every single day, and I'd learned the power of hit it. Hit it's that decision to go again. Yeah. It's the decision when you're hurting, when you've made a mistake, or someone else has made a mistake for you, or the conditions have knocked you down, that you make the decision, I'm going to hit it, and I'm not going to quit it. And God's like, you take this message. And all the way home, it's like, you go there, you tell them that it's not over. You tell them there's a power source that will come pick them up. And that I love them. Yeah. And if they'll just hook up to the right power source, you know, Kevin, when I skied, I didn't ski behind a John boat. I didn't ski behind a jet ski. I had a Nautique that would pull me up. Performance. Performance, and it was designed to carry me and lift me up and hold me steady. And so now I get to go in. When I left there... All I did was pray that prayer. You want me to go, I will go. But I am not forcing my way in there. I mean, I had a serious conversation with God. Yeah. Because through in his wakes, I had learned how if you get ahead of the boat, you sink. And I had led that prophet, my prophet for many years and made many mistakes. And so I said, you want me in, you, you get me in. The next week, without me telling anybody, the Department of Corrections calls me. They had this magazine, Victorious Living, that I had been publishing for years at that point. And they're like, we want this in every prison in Florida. That magazine now, by the grace of God, is in 2,000-plus facilities. Wow. It's in Nigeria. It's in Kenya. It's translated into Spanish. It's in digital formats, reaching hundreds of thousands of inmates. And by the end of this year, a potential over a million inmates will have access to that. It's God. It's amazing. Yeah. He just wants your, yes, I'll go. And then a willingness to go, and he does everything else. So if you go to victoriouslivingmagazine.com, and if you have a loved one or know someone that is incarcerated, you just reach out to us. You go to that website, and we send this publication in free to um, prisons all over the United States. But we also, if you give us their name, their DOC number, and all the facility address and things, we can put them on our mailing list, and we're happy to um, send that to them free of charge. Um, if you do feel led, um, you know, to donate, every dollar that you give sends a magazine in. And Amen. so every dollar you give, sends every a, dollar you give wow. sends a magazine in. So you can sponsor a whole case of a hundred. And here's the cool thing: is they don't leave. These go in, and they get passed 
from place to so place they're, to they're place. They end up in showers. They end up under cots. We get letters where someone's getting ready to commit suicide, and they look down, and this is sticking out of the mattress. And they get, they're saved physically and for eternity, yeah. spiritually. That's so amazing. And the, another thing, tell us about your writing ministry, because I know that's a huge proponent mm-hmm. of, I mean, it's one yeah. thing to get a magazine and go, this is really cool, but what they can do is re- write to you right. guys. So, yeah, so the, the magazine is an evangel- evangelistic tool. It's hard word. <laughs> and when you're Southern. So, yeah, so it goes in, it delivers hope with these awesome, authentic stories about all sorts of topics. And so we also invite inmates that, are you lonely? Do you need encouragement? Write to us. And we have a Spanish team. We have an English-speaking team. And any inmate that writes to us, any incarcerated person that writes to us, they have the opportunity to um, receive personal correspondence. I write devotions every quarter. They um, also get uh, their own copy of the magazine sent to them. The personal correspondence is so important because many of these men and women, we are their family. Yeah. We call it a victorious living family. Currently, we're uh, mentoring over 4,000 inmates individually. Yeah. That is insane. It's You're really mentoring, cool. discipling But, but we 4, turn 000. over about 500 every um, couple of months because they're getting in. So it just, you know, it's growing every month, but there's also people transitioning out. And so the numbers are tens of thousands, and it's just been amazing for us and the letters people confessing to things people asking you know if god is so good then how come when i was three years old this was happening to me and that's when i started realizing kevin that if i had been brought up like a lot of the people there's good chance i'd be there too i mean it's it's like my whole attitude towards incarceration has changed um but we won't go there. Yeah. But I, I, lo- I loved it. I mean, you didn't go to prison. You didn't really know anybody that was in it, but the Lord gave you a heart, and his grace was not only on you when you were younger that maybe protected you from some things, but he's given you a grace that he could minister through you, through yeah. the magazine, the ministry. You have no leg to stand on. Like, why should you go into a prison? Who cares about Rich you? A white skier. Girl. Yeah. But skier. God, <laughs> God, like, because of his love in your life, he has empowered you to transform their lives. I mean, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it happen. I've heard about stories when you go into the yard, you bring a ski boat in there and everybody's just excited. I think it's your Southern accent, your personality. The Lord's given you a history, a stage and a platform, but it, he's the one that's anointed it. And I'm excited that inmates, millions of them are hearing from a young ski girl from North Carolina who's retired had surgery from crashing on a trick because she shouldn't have been trying it. She was too old. And uh, and you have the joy of the Lord with this personal story. It just reminds me that God is bigger than we ever thought or imagined and that there's hope for anybody incarcerated in behind bars or in behind bars of our own soul in our heart. Um, and so I want to uh, point point all of you to uh, the description down below because I would love for you to uh, subscribe to Victorious Living La- Magazine is also as well we're going to point you guys to KOJ Ministries for the Hit It Magazine and or Hit It Book. It's all on Victorious Living. Oh, it's all on yeah, Victorious, Victorious Living. VictoriousLivingMagazine.com. All okay. the books, everything. We'll put that link in and the. You know what I'm really excited about? What's that? All of this, your materials are going to be on the platforms in prison. Yes. Hey, you know, I prayed and asked the Lord because my heart's been for the inmates since you invited us with Nate to go in, and it just opened my hearts up too. But you can only be so many places at one time. And I asked the Lord, just, Lord, we have videos and films. 
We had this new curriculum. He and, has uh, no idea what you're Oh, I know. I just said, I just said, Lord, how do we get into the prisons more? I mean, maybe I will go, but, and through you with this, is it Edovo? Edovo's tablets. Yes. We're going to have to have a second call about that. But the magazine just going digitally into prisons through Edovo, a company partnership that Christy has. And then she just graciously says, yeah, let me connect you. So all of our stories and films and our curriculum is going to be able to be a part of what she's already doing adding to the writing material, which mm-hmm. I'm thankful I don't have to create a new writing team, you yeah. know, that you get to go and minister to people. And so that's why we partner well, so well together. Yeah. So I love you. I love you. Thanks for coming on. And, and hey, his wife knows I love him. <laughs> yes, she does. So if uh, you've enjoyed this episode and you're on YouTube, uh, put a comment below, like it and share it with your friends. If you're listening, wherever you're at, uh, go ahead and leave a review and, uh, We pray that you have been blessed by this conversation. And Christy, thanks for coming on. Thank you.